now we're back in Proverbs. We have about, about eight sermons that I, I think will help us in understanding the Proverbs. The first ten chapters or so of the Proverbs, we spent going chapter by chapter. But the end of the book of Proverbs doesn't lend itself to this. These are the more famous Proverbs, we might call them. The ones that are very one line, two lines here or there. And they change from topic to topic. And so because of that, we will do what um, some of us around here call topositional preaching. Um, that's where we take a, a verse or a passage. We, we launch into a topical look at that passage or that topic through other passages all through uh, the book or the Bible sometimes, but we'll stay in Proverbs this today. Um, as you're turning the book of Proverbs, uh, go to Proverbs 24. Uh, as you're doing that, I just want—I know you know it or you see it. I hope, but uh, you notice in your worship guide that we have a new element that we added this week. We've been adding an element a week, kind of, and I think we've about gotten what we want at this point. Um, but this is the family devotional guide, and I know many of you may already do family devotionals. And that's, that's great. Some of you don't. And one of the excuses I was hearing a lot uh, over the last year was, I just don't know what to do with my kids. I don't know what to do with my family. I, I don't know what I should be reading or what I should be going through. So I just got a burden for writing short little devotions. Now these devotions are questions, basically a passage and questions to go with the passage. And I envision these being used like Luther's table talk in Germany during the Reformation, he would read a passage and ask his children questions. And then they would discuss. And those things grew to the point that the, the, the lost uh, and even the saved would come to Luther's house to see him train his children. And there's accounts of them hanging out the windows and hanging in the windows and opening the door so that people could stand in the yard and look as he was catechizing and questioning and, and, and leading his children. Now, I don't know if that will happen in your neighborhood or not. If it does, welcome it. It would be great to have other people come in and see you shepherding your children. But at least your children and your wife, wife that's another question I get. What do you do with your wife? How do you lead your wife? So these would be good for the whole family. Um, and uh, we're going to do this every week. I'm going to put this in every week. It will be a consistent diet of, of passages to read, questions to ask, and they're just starter questions. You may find you want to go deeper than I'm going, but, but uh, you at least have a place to launch out. So this will be in every week. And then also I want to remind you, um, and you notice the, the global connection moment at the very back. This week it's Seth and Bethany Terrell, and every week we'll have different people who we'll be highlighting in their ministries and prayer requests they have. You can use these prayer requests in your prayer time. Personally, as a family, you can pray for the missionaries. This is the way we can do that, by praying uh, the very prayers they send. These were requests sent to me by Seth. And then, um, finally, in the worship guide, you get this piece of paper where you can, if you're a visitor, someone who's been with us once or several times, but you're not a member here, give us information about yourself and your family. And on the back, if you're a member or a visitor, you can give us information about things you would like for the ministry to be, uh, the people here to be praying for you. We have a prayer ministry. Heidi Hicks uh, leads that, and we're so thankful for those people. They're faithful to pray. They send the prayer request to the elders uh, every week, and we work through that. So you have this uh, sheet. Fill it out. Place it in the offering box in the back. All right? Okay. Proverbs 24, verse 30. 
through 34. The passage reads, I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nestles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep. This is the instruction he got. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will, overcome, will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed bandit, or armed man. Title of the sermon is, Are You a Sluggard? Sluggard. That's not a term we use very much in our society anymore, is it? But I think it's one that maybe we should bring back in our thinking of ourselves and thinking of our community. We live in an age of civilized men. You need a definition for civilized men? One way you can define it is this. Civilized man enjoys increased economic means and at the same time increased leisure increased economic means and increased leisure leads to civilization or civilized men at least that's what the world wants us to believe we're people that live for vacation we don't take vacations as a respite from our living I said it the way I meant it we live for vacation. Facebook is cluttered with this thing. You'll see people, they post pictures from their current vacation only to tell you about the vacation they're going to take next. They've already planned it. They're living for it. Oh, you may not be one of these people. You might be one of these people that is living for retirement. Literally. We are encouraged in the United States to begin planning for our retirement before we have our first job. You should laugh at that. The rest of the world would laugh at that. The concept that an 18-year-old would start saving money for when he's going to be 65 or 70 to the rest of the world is ludicrous. It's nuts. But in a sense, we've created this idea that retirement is what we're living for. It's what we want. It's what we're aiming. That's the only reason we have a job. That's an amazing thought. But it's not an original thought with the United States or with our culture or with our generation. These thoughts have gone on from the time of the garden, I believe. Aristotle said, kids, that means it's, this quote is old. Really, really old. The end of labor is the gain of leisure. You see, Aristotle and his students were focused on leisure in their day. They were thinking about relaxation, escaping the world through enjoyment of pleasures now. I believe that all of us either struggle with a tendency toward being a workaholic or a tendency towards being lazy or both. Yeah, I knew I'd get that turned head like a puppy dog. Like, what do you mean both? How can you be a workaholic and lazy? Hopefully by the end of the sermon you will know how. Many of us are both. Mark Dever has said that we are not a culture of idle 
I-D-O-L worshipers. We are a culture of idol, I-D-L-E worshipers. We worship the thought that we can get away with doing nothing or doing a lot that equals nothing. This week I googled. There's a word that preachers didn't say 100 years ago. I googled the statement, the laziest person in the world. Just because I was researching to see, was there such a thing? I don't know if this story is true. Because right? everything kids you find on the internet is not true. It did come in the form of an old newspaper. It looked like it may have been a phony. So I'm not telling you whether this story is true or untrue. You may have heard this story. It may be a far-fetched tale, but I just thought it was funny. That in the early 1900s, again, to show you laziness isn't new, it's an old thing. There was a Mr. Thompson in a city in Ireland who finally rose from his bed after 29 years. Yeah, his mother got sick and she had to be taken to the hospital. She couldn't care for him anymore. So they had to get an ambulance to him to take him to the infirmary, according to this article, because he was so weak from being lazy. Laying around. 29 years in a bed. Maybe that's not you. But maybe you too are guilty of this thing called slothfulness or being a sluggard. But did you know that more people, you may not be that man. You may not be one of those on the famous now famous or infamous show, the 1200 pound person. You may not be that. But did you know that according to the World Health Organization, people who research these certain things say that laziness, lack of activity, will be the fourth leading cause of death outside of communicable diseases this year. It's tied with tobacco use. We see commercials all the time about the dangers of smoking. We don't hardly see any about laziness, do we? 5.3 million people will die from inactivity this year. You never thought of slothfulness or laziness as a life and death issue. I know I didn't, but according to the facts, it's true. The reality is I'm less concerned with these kinds of statistics. I only tell you these things as a way to kind of introduce and go into it. I'm more concerned with my pattern of life and yours at Grace Fellowship. What is our pattern of life? Are we sluggards in the way that we live? And our passage instructs us about a so-called sluggard, a man who refused to do his work. And it's only one of many passages. I want to call your attention to what this passage says. Notice, first of all, that the man has possessions. He does have possessions, but he has let those possessions deteriorate to the point that they're worthless. When you have a vineyard that's overgrown with weeds and nestles and, 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 and it, it, it becomes unproductive. Also notice here that his property is falling apart. It's unprotected. In their day, the way they protected their vineyards was to build a wall around it. He's let the wall fall down. He's not repaired his fences, we might say in our day. He's not kept up his possession. It's falling apart for him. Notice also in this passage 
that the wise man is considering the life of this sluggard as he walks by his field. Everyone knows this man is a sluggard. It's no secret. It's obvious. You just walk by and you can tell. And he learns a lesson. And this, this is something I want us to look at. What is the lesson? Verse 33. What does it say? A lot of sleep. A lot of slumber. A lot of folding of the hands. Is that what it says? No. What does it say? A little. Three times the wise man in the proverb here repeats the word little. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands. It points us to the fact that this slothful lifestyle comes on very slowly. In progression. It's not an overnight phenomena. It's not something that just all of a sudden you wake up one day and you're lazy. It kind of overtakes your life. And then the end of being a sluggard we see in this passage is poverty. Being overtaken by the world. Being taken advantage of. Well, let's dig a little deeper and look through more of the Proverbs to see the patterns here. To see if we are a sluggard or not. By the way, how many of you, I just thought I'd be asked this before we go any further. How many of you have ever heard a sermon on being a sluggard? One, one, kind of a half hand, yeah, maybe. We don't talk about it all that much, do we? I thought about this this week. I've been in church since I was born, literally. I mean, like the first time my mom could bring me to church, I came to church, and I've been in church my whole life. I cannot recall one sermon, not one, anywhere on this subject. That tell us something about ourselves? We like to preach about the big sins and other people's sins. We don't want to talk about the ones that might have to do with us, do we? This one's a little too close to home, maybe. What is the, I'm talking about the preacher. It might be too close to our home. What is the pattern of life for the sluggard? What is it that identifies a man as a sluggard? Well, first of all, a sluggard is a lazy person that wastes their lives and wastes the opportunities of life. It's a lazy person that wastes their life and wastes the opportunities that they have in life. Hold your place here and turn to Proverbs 6. Verse, this is probably the most famous passage. Proverbs 6, verses 8 through 10. Verse 6 of chapter 6 starts out by telling the sluggard to go to the ant. There's a very specific ant in the Middle East that's probably under consideration here. There's over 500 species of ants. And this particular species, which is very common in the Middle East, in the land of, of Israel, um, worked tirelessly in gathering food. It was the harvester ant. It would go out and, and bring in wheat, barley from the field, stored up in the nest for winter. It was constantly doing this. And it did it without any guidance. It didn't seem to have any leader. The ants just worked hard all the time in preparation for the future. They didn't waste the opportunity that they found in the warm season during the harvest to prepare for the hard, dry, desolate season of winter. But look at verse 8. She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. She has an opportunity. She's not wasting that. She's not wasting her life. So the writer, Solomon, tells the sluggard to go look at the ant and to think and consider what she's doing. And then he asks, 
A further question, how long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? And there's our verse again, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. That lesson that he's trying to teach in chapter 6 is, if you are a sluggard, you waste your opportunities. You waste your life. It's not that you have no opportunity. It's not that you don't have anything around you to provide. It's not that God has forsaken you. It's that you've forsaken the pursuit. The sluggard is a lazy person that wastes life's opportunity. Secondly, when we think about the pattern of life for a sluggard, a sluggard is a lazy person that cannot be depended on by anyone close to them. Proverbs 10. Look at Proverbs 10 with me. Verse 26. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. Those who work. The worker who sends the sluggard. The boss man that sends him to do his work. The sluggard is not dependable. I know some of you like vinegar, personally. I don't like vinegar by itself. I I like it as a cooking ingredient, but I don't like to eat it. Some of you douse your food with it. I'll just be honest with you. It makes me want to throw up. I can't imagine anybody doing this because my teeth are set on edge with that sour taste that it hits you right there in the jaw joint. You know the one I'm talking about? It just burns like you just your ear is burning. That's what a sluggard does to those who depend on him. A lazy person is not dependable. You give them a job, to, a simple job. One you would think, this is no-brainer, they'll get it done. And then you come back and it's not done and that same burning happens in your jaw. You know what I'm talking about. Or it's like sitting around the campfire. Y'all have all been through this one. We're not a big vinegar-based eating culture. You know, those are overseas usually. But I thought this one's, surely all of us in here have experienced this. You stand at the campfire, the smoke's blowing in your face, it's coming up, hitting you in the eyes, and your eyes are watering. And so what do you do? You move to the other side. What does the smoke do? Hit you in the eyes. You go back to the other side. It hits you in the eyes. And that burning sensation, that unbearable discomfort, That's the way the proverb says, that's what the life of a lazy person does to those who depend on him. That, if you you are a lazy person, especially you men, I just want to tell you, that's what you're doing to your wife, your children. They depend on you. And you are an irritant to them. You You are causing them pain. You are setting their teeth on edge. That's what you're doing to your boss. That's what you're doing to your co-workers. So a lazy person cannot be depended on by anyone. Proverbs 26, verse 13 through 16. Another passage, it says, tells us that we can't depend on those who have this pattern of life. The sluggard says, there is a line in the road. There's a line in the streets. Okay. Solomon has a great sense of humor. This passage shows us that. Look what he says. As a door turns on its hinges, 
So the sluggard upon his bed. Think of the mental image right now. Just everybody stop and just close your eyes and think. The door, you open and close. It just does this number. That's what the lazy sluggard does on his bed. What a beautiful picture. The door is doing its job. It's made to do that. And Solomon's saying, you sluggard are like the door. That's not what God made you for, but that's what you're acting like. You're doing, your activity is going on, but you're doing nothing. You're accomplishing nothing. You're busy, maybe, but your life is not accounting for production or help for anyone else. The sluggard is a lazy person that can't be depended on by anyone. The sluggard third thing we see about the pattern of the lifestyle of a sluggard is the person that wastes his life avoiding work. These people work hard not to work. Some of you have worked with people like this. They spend more time trying to find out how they can't work than they do actually doing the job. I've been on work crews before where the rest of the crew went about their work and one guy on the crew wouldn't work because he had these things that just prevented it. He always had a line in the street somewhere. He was always, and he would still be doing that when we finished the job. I've been on sports teams where we would go in the weight room. There was one guy particularly <clears throat> that we'd go in the weight room, we'd go lift weights. And it didn't take long to figure out this guy was simply rearranging weights. He was always getting weights, putting them on the bars, and then he would talk a little and somebody else would lift and somebody else would lift, and then it'd be time to go to the next station. He'd take those weights off, put them up, go to the next station. He'd put somebody. He was never lifting. He was working hard not to work. That's the pattern of a lazy person. These people are not necessarily inactive. Their activity is wasteful. They're wasting opportunities. They're wasting the, the dependability uh, is not there. And they're wasting their time avoiding work. Proverbs 6, 9-11 tells us that. Proverbs 24, 33-34 tells us that. Look at what it says again. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hand for rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. The lazy person wastes his life away sleeping and avoiding work. Proverbs 19, verse 15. You didn't realize there were so many of these, did you? Slothfulness cast into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. Proverbs 26. Verse 14 and 15. As the door turns on its hinges, so does the, the slugger on his bed. The sluggard, I love this one. Here again is another one of Solomon's classic pictures. The sluggard buries his hand in the bowl. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. He envisioned this with me. Plate of food. Man's hungry. He's lazy. He puts his fork in, and you envision him. He's a, he, I, I can't even pick my arm up. It just wears me out. I mean, this is the character. This is the life pattern. Derek Kidner, 
one of the best uh, commentators I know of on the Proverbs says this. The sluggard is a person who, that doesn't start things, doesn't finish things, and doesn't face things. He never starts a project when the few projects he starts, he doesn't finish, and the few problems he does encounter, he refuses to face. He just ignores them. Because, see, I've spent time talking about the sluggard in physical things, in physical work, and I did that intentionally. I think the Proverbs does it intentionally. But let me tell you, if you are a sluggard in any area of your life, it impacts all areas of your life. There's no such thing as being a sluggard in one area. The Bible paints the picture that sluggards are sluggards. By the way, do you, you, do, you kids do know what that sluggard, where that comes from, right? You can imagine. Does any kid in here know where that comes from? No? Y'all, y'all need to get outside more. There are things called slugs. They're ooey and gooey and slimy. And it literally takes them days to move inches. They just roll around. Just don't accomplish much. They stick to your wall. Y'all go buy out of the little machine, the little goo that you pop on the wall. When I was a kid, we used, I used to pick up slugs and do that. They do have a purpose, I guess. That's where this word comes from. Notice, this, this was a very real... The banana slug is common in the Middle East. It's, it's fat, big, brown and yellow pokey dotted, and it's slimy. It's gross. And Solomon is calling people sluggards. He was intending to hit you in the face with the idea of, is this who you are? But not just simply in physical things. Now let me say this. Are you a sluggard in relationships? You know that there's contention between you and a fellow member of this church. And you will find anything possible to do rather than go to that person and talk to them about the problems that exist. You can be the laziest person most of the time, but once you find out there's an issue that's going on, maybe you've offended somebody or somebody has offended you, all of a sudden you're the busiest person in the world. I just don't have time to deal with that right now. You're a sluggard in relationships. How many of us are sluggards according to God, or toward God? We've got all the time in the world to keep up with what's going on at Facebook and Twitter and the vine, and all these other things that come out every day, these social media contraptions. We know everything there is about reality TV, but we haven't memorized a Bible verse in years. We just don't have time for it. You pick up a box score, and by the end of reading that box score, you go to work and you remember it line by line for your favorite team, but you can't remember one passage to help you fight the fight of faith. It's not that our carpets aren't worn out from our knees hitting the floor in prayer. It's that our knees never hit the floor in prayer. We're sluggards spiritually. I'm more concerned, just to be honest with you, with the character of a sluggard because of that than I am about your 
wastefulness in your physical life. Although I think they're all combined. God created us as holistic beings. If you find a man who's lazy in his work, he's lazy. Often. I don't, know very, I don't know that I know of any exceptions. Maybe you do. You can tell me after the sermon. A sluggard's a person that doesn't start things, doesn't finish things, and doesn't face things. That's the character. That's the person. What's the consequence of being a sluggard? Maybe you've heard this lifestyle and think, well, if I can avoid work my whole life, let's sign up for that. Okay. This is what you're signing up for, according to Proverbs. Poverty. Proverbs 24, 33 through 34. Again, our passage, our, key, our kind of our anchor passage. A little slumber, a little sleep, a little folding of the hands, and poverty will come upon you like a robber. Poverty. Not just poor, impoverished. There's a big difference. There's a huge difference. Our government over the last 60 years has created poverty and impoverished people in their mindset in our country. And the way that we've done that is we've required no work for pay. And so the mind changes. Poverty is a mindset. I challenge all of you to get the book, When Helping Hurts, and read it. The, the institute up in Chattanooga that developed, developed this book or wrote this book, these guys at the Chalmers Institute, spent years, decades of ministry investigating poverty across the world's globe. And what they found is this common denominator. Poverty has to do with a mindset. Poverty has to do with relationships. Poverty has to do with non-material things. Being poor has to do with material things. There's a difference in those two. Kids understand this. When you're a sluggard, I'm not saying you're going to go without food or money. I'm saying you're going to go without relationships. You're going to go without, without uh, self, the, the self-awareness that you can accomplish, the, the ability to accomplish a task. Your mind is going to change. You're going to be impoverished. This is what happens to communities all across our country every day. They can be within a mile of resources, but they can't get to the resources. Why? Because they've begun to believe, I can't do it. You're headed for that if you choose the pattern of a sluggard. Proverbs 18, verse 9. Just uh, flip there quickly with me and look at that proverb. Proverbs 18, verse 9. Whoever is slack in his work is a brother To him who destroys. The one that's slack in work is a brother to the one that destroys. I've experienced it myself. When you do ministry in a community where poverty has taken over, crime rates are extremely high. Do you know why? If you dig deep enough, what you will find is that the person has developed a mindset now of what we might call nihilism. They believe that whatever they have is to be used right now. And if they don't have it, they need to get it right now. And, and that, that nihilistic mindset drives them, drives them to violence. 
So they see a good-looking woman. They ask her out on a date. She won't go out with them. That frustration leads them often to rape or abuse. Because they see what they want and they can't have it. And so the mindset of poverty is sitting and they say, well, I'll just take it. This is a mindset problem. It's not a resources problem. We live in the most resource-rich country to ever grace the planet. And yet we have whole communities that are suffering under the blight of poverty. You can go to school now. Most of the time you can find the loans and the Pell Grants and the money to go to school and yet people won't go to school. It's not because the opportunity is not there. It's because they won't go because their mind has become impoverished. They've begun to choose the lifestyle and live the lifestyle of one who is a robber, a destroyer. I spent some time in inner city Memphis with a ministry in downtown Memphis that was in one of the most impoverished neighborhoods, regions in our country. Chris has been there. And what you get familiar with as you spend time is this mindset. The whole world's against us. We'll never be able to get anything in this life. So what we'll do is we'll take it and become takers and not givers. Well, I was 19 when I went in, and when I, when I went into these neighborhoods, what we found were people living in fear of their neighbors. We walked down the street, and cars were vandalized. Homes had graffiti painted on, on every wall. Destruction. The community was falling apart at the seams. And yet you could drive literally 10 minutes from that place and be in some of the wealthiest neighborhoods in Memphis. Just 10 minutes. Nobody where we were ministering believed they would ever be anywhere but where they were. And they had begun to buy the lie that they were worthless and that life was worthless and things in this life were worthless because they didn't ever have the joy of working hard, earning a pay, paying for, for what they lived in or where, what they drove. And so it drove them to this mentality of poverty. They will eventually, the sluggard will lack basic provision. It, it doesn't begin that way, but then it, it, it often goes there. Chapter 20 in the Proverbs, verse 4 says, The sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek a harvest and have nothing. <clears throat> this is that mindset, but it goes to having nothing. Now we're beyond the mindset. Now we've done nothing to prepare for the winter that's coming as a farmer. We haven't toiled the ground. We haven't planted any seed. We haven't kept up with any crops within... We go out expecting there to magically be something, but there's not. Now they lack basic provision. Finally, I would say the Proverbs teach us that the sluggard sets himself up for a very difficult life. A difficult life. Small things lead to big problems and big consequences. Little choices through life are what he's struggling from. Proverbs 15, verse 19. 
The way of the sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. What does it mean it's like a hedge of thorns? Basically what's happened is it goes back to our passage where the vineyard is overgrown with thistles and weeds and nettles. It's the same idea. The path has grown up to the point that he's hedged in all around him. He can't move. His way is difficult. The longer you stay in this pattern of life, the harder it is to get out of it. The longer you persist, you'll find that the path grows up thicker and thicker. The choices build on top of another. It's like the proverbial crack in the dam one day. That little crack then becomes a seam and then becomes a hole and then the dam crumbles. And the consequences of your bad choices, the small choices in your life, come crashing down on you. John Ortberg said it like this. In the past, I would have considered anything but sloth to be one of my problems because I seem to be so busy. Sloth doesn't necessarily mean we're doing nothing. Sloth is the failure to do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. Sloth is not doing nothing. It's not doing what needs to be done timely. His, his word pictures like Solomon's is awesome. Like the kamikaze pilot who flew 17 missions. You get that? It took a little while for some of you. I came gradually to the realization that this was a temptation for me. I would have a task I didn't look forward to. Like setting up an appointment to confront someone about a broken relationship. Suddenly, a myriad of other tasks leapt up and begged to be done. I'd clean my desk, call a staff meeting, write two articles for a newsletter we did not even publish. I did a lot. Over time, I discovered that all too often I didn't do what needed to be done when it needed to be done. Just as most alcoholics don't live on skid row, most, most slothaholics don't spend days eating bonbons, there's your word, and watching Young and the Restless. That's why Scott Peck notes that even workaholics can be lazy. They may work furiously, but only because they are trying to avoid doing something truly needful. So I ask... Are you a sluggard? Do you find yourself in relationships, in work, in spiritual life, finding things to occupy your time so that you don't have to do what you know needs to be done? Eternally busy, never accomplishing what matters. The lifestyle of the sluggard is a lifestyle Solomon knew because there was a phase in his life when he lived it. The same man that wrote these also wrote Ecclesiastes. Read it this week and see that he himself tried to fill his days with pleasure and leisure and when he got to the end, what did he say? Vanity. All is vanity. It's a waste like smoke in the hand to the one who tries to hold it. 
That's what it's like. It's vanity. It's a waste. It's impossible to live this way. So what is the application? I mean, this is, this is difficult. This may be your pattern of life. This may be how you carry on relationships. This may be how your work day sets up. This might be the way you spend your days in your spiritual growth. Just wasting them. Not doing what needs to be done. What do we do? Thank God for the gospel. The solution is not primarily get up and do something. The solution is to look to what has already been done. John chapter 17. This is where we're going to close. With the application from the gospel. What do we do? I am the sluggard. I do have that tendency in my personal relationships, in my relationship with God, in my work. John 17. Jesus in the high priestly prayer bowed his head, lifted his eyes towards heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You're the sluggard. First of all, you need to examine your life and see that you are that. Admit it to yourself. No, own it. I am what he's describing. That is how I live my relationships. That is my spiritual life. I am lazy. I don't take up the hand to work. I sit and wait for it to be done for me. That's the first step. And secondly, repent of that and turn to Christ. Eternal life is this, that they know God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The solution is not to get up and get busy. The solution is to get up, pray up, and hold on to Jesus. That's the solution. Why? Why can we trust Jesus? Why can we as sluggards hold on to Jesus? Verse 4, I glorified you on earth. Having what? Accomplished the work that you gave me to do. The opposite of a sluggard is Jesus Christ. At the end of his life, he's able to say to his father, I did everything you gave me to do. The work of redemption of sluggards is complete. Jesus did the work. He's not expecting you to do the work because he took it on himself to take your laziness to the cross and die in your place. Yes, laziness is a sin. Sluggard path, uh, the sluggard's path is the way to destruction. It is sinful. It's not just simply a bad habit. It's sinful. But what's the solution? No, don't get up and go work. Cling to Christ. Why? Because He took your sluggard, lazy self and nailed it to the cross and paid the redemptive price. He has done the work. Thank God for a Christ who didn't say, ah, there's a line in the street, there's a line in the road, but He got up and went to the cross for you and for me. So that our sluggard lifestyles would be redeemed. Now, what's the practical application that I would give? 
I would give you the practical application I believe the Apostle Paul would give. Now that you, once you are in Christ, work harder than anyone in your life towards sanctification. That's what Paul did. Because the gospel was real and because Christ was his God and because that was his hope, he then set his face towards being like Christ. He established patterns in his life. It's not antinomianism. The gospel is not antinomianism. It's not, okay, I believe in Jesus, so I don't, have to, I don't have to work. I don't have to worry about sanctification. It's both and. I am in Christ, and I'm striving harder than any to be like him. It's both. So if you find yourself a sluggard, turn to Jesus and then work harder than everyone else at being Christ-like. And set up accountability. Some of you need to finish this sermon today. You need to go home and get with God. And then tomorrow, you need to pick a phone up and call a buddy in this church and say, what he was saying yesterday, I'm guilty of that. And I need your help. I need your help. If you don't help me, I'm not going to make it. I tell you, one of the pastors in our church, in the last year, year and a half, has taken on several projects, men, in projects in those men's lives. And his number one objective was, and we were talking about it, his number one objective said, what do, you, what do you want for these guys? He said, I want them to work hard. And then he set out to teach them the proper theology of who God is. And to call them to repentance, to be like this, this image of God, Christ. And do you know this? Every one of those guys he's been working with has a job, works hard, and, it, and I would say they're working unto the Lord. You need accountability. You know why? Because they had somebody in their life that was bold enough to say, hey, I see this, and this could destroy you, and I love you, and I don't want to destroy you. Turn to Jesus, and then seek to be the hardest worker among the bunch. And those guys, to their credit, not to their shame, heard that rebuke from the Word of God and from that pastor, and they, they acted on it. First of all, repentance. Turning from your lifestyle to Christ. Second of all, sanctification. Working harder than anyone to be Christ-like. Finally, community. We call it accountability, discipleship. Community. Be honest with those around you and say, look, I have this tendency. I need your help. You'll be amazed at what God will do through the power of the gospel to set you free from this destruction. And you'll look back in years to come and you will be all, because of the grace of God, you will be all the things you used to think you could never be. Not because of who you are, but because of who He is. And when you lay your head down to die, you'll say, it was a life well lived. Those around you will say, He was dependable he was godly. He was Christ-like. He put his hand to the plow and didn't turn back. Man, let's be a community that runs from being a sluggard by running to Christ and loving one another. Let's do that. Let's do that as application to this sermon.